So today will be the final session of the Systematic Theology Study. Um, Today's just a summary. We've covered all the major sections so far. Um, You should be uh, proud of yourselves for having endured such a long such a long study. Uh, I asked Dustin to go get the systematic and historical theology books because I want him to stack them on top of each other. And I want you all to look and see just how thick of a study y'all have been through over the last few years. Um, this, this has been, um, this has been fun. I have enjoyed every minute of it. Um, whenever I, started this thing way back at the end of 2018. Um, I did not think it would take this long. (laughs) But there were several, whenever I started that, whenever we started this, um, naively I thought that we could get through most of the sessions in one, and there were were a number of them along the way that were um, like four, five, six, so it pushed it out just a little bit. Um, yeah, thank you. So y'all take a look at this, because here's what I would say. Here's what I and I had planned on doing this way back whenever I started this thing out, because here's what I think happens a lot of times. I think you sell yourselves short on what you're capable of when it comes to studying God's Word. Um, And these two books are books that you would study if you were in seminary. Um, And I dare say if you saw them on a bookshelf, um, you would probably walk away from them. (laughs) Or maybe would have walked away from them. Because just the size of these things. And here's another thing too, like if you flip... If you flip this open, it is not as though they have little, little like the like old people text font, right? Like this is this is tiny text in these things. So it's a lot that we've covered over the last several years, and I'm not in any way going to do justice in a single class in summarizing all of it. So um, if I were to teach this 128th class a dozen times. I would probably select different texts to go through each time. Um, a different text for each of the sections that we're going to look at. Um, because there's so much to cover here. So um, it was difficult trying to find um, a text to do service to all that we discussed and studied in each of these major sections. So. Um, keep that in mind as we hit these today that um, there very well may be better texts that could have been chosen and then had we had chosen those we may be saying the same thing then. Um, so I'm going to list off for you the major sections that we've covered. Some of the big ideas. So we started off with the doctrine of the Word of God. That was kind of the first major section that we looked at. And then we moved on to the doctrine of God, and then the doctrine of man, and then the doctrine of Christ, and then the doctrine of the application of redemption. Uh, More recently, the doctrine of the church, and then finishing, finishing up last week, the doctrine of the future. So those are the major sections that we've that we've looked at. Um, I don't know. So it's 10:20 right now. I'd originally given myself 
five minutes per each of these. That may or may not be enough time. So we'll spend what time needs to be spent on these to kind of refresh our minds, and then we'll move to the next. So uh, to kind of give us a reminder of some of the things that we talked about when we were looking at the doctrine of the Word of God, I selected 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So if you want to go there with me. Um, there's a lot that we covered when we were talking about the doctrine of the Word of God. Um, I want to remind you there that we spent a significant amount of time discussing the canon of Scripture, that is, the books that we have and why it is that we use these books and not others, right? Um, why don't we include, um, you know, like the Apocrypha or any of the particular books of the Apocrypha? We covered that. Uh, we covered that in depth. Um, we also talked about the authority of Scripture and um, the significance and importance of Scripture for our lives. And this text that we are looking at here in Second Timothy chapter three kind of touches more on that. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And this again, all of these are just going to be reminders. Like I was, as I was putting these together, I was just thinking, thinking to myself, if you could give just one thing, and there's so many that you could give from each of these, but if you could just give one thing like that was the take, like a takeaway to re- remind and refresh, what would it be? Um, and when it comes to this first um, section. Uh, I, I wanted I wanted this text here to be uh, something that we kind of walk away reminding ourselves of that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That is, when we look at the Word of God, we are looking at the very words of God to us, which brings along a lot of like considerations here like how do you know God how do you know him how do you know anything about him what would all all of the systematic theology study was founded on this idea that we can know God we can know truth and the way that we come to know these things is through God's word and it has authority over our life to dictate how we live Right, So when you read God's Word, God's Word has authority over you. It commands you to live in a certain way. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So uh, we study God's Word. We spend time in God's Word knowing that He speaks to us through it and that it shapes us. It teaches us. It reproves us. It corrects us. It trains us in how to live righteous lives. And it prepares us, equipping us for good work. So we're not just reading God's Word to collect knowledge in our minds But He's shaping who we are so that we live and move in this world in a way that good works are a product of the lives that we live. Right? We don't work for righteousness. We don't work to gain favor with God. We work from a position of righteousness that He has 
given to us that he continues cultivating in us um, but good work will be a result and part of us spending time in God's word um, is to produce that work uh, in us so next we're going to go and look at the second major section of study that we looked at the doctrine of God and for this I want you to flip with me to the book of Jeremiah so turn to Jeremiah chapter 9 I'm going to start reading in verse 23 we'll read verse 23 and 24 here So when we were thinking about the doctrine of God, there's lots to see here um, in this study. Uh, I'll remind you that we came to the conclusion that God can be known. We can't, we will never, and we talked about this last week, we will never explore the depths of God even in eternity, right? But we can know true things about God and we can continue learning true things about God uh, each and every day. We do that now uh, through spending time in God's Word and God reveals Himself to us. Um, we also spent during this section of, of the study a good deal of time looking at God's character. Attributes of God were things that we discussed during this study. Um, and I want us to um, go away from this section and, and this text here. I'll, I'll go ahead and read Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness on earth for these things for in these things that a lot declares the lord so we can know god we can understand true things about him and when we consider i i think we should oftentimes stop and consider that he could have created us in a way that we could not Consider him. Most of most of creation cannot consider him. Cannot consider itself, much less ponder deep questions about why. Why are we here? Most of creation does not ponder evil. But we find ourselves in this place where we can think and consider. We find ourselves made in the image of God in such a way that we can consider Him. That we can think about Him. That we can understand Him. He is in many ways beyond us. And will always be but He has made Himself and made us in such a way that we can understand Him. And that this is a thing to chase after more than wisdom. 
more than might, more than riches. That you might know the One who created you and not only know true things about Him, not only know that He is good, but know Him in a way that you've experienced that goodness. Like we can't experience Him and know Him and consider Him in a way that we should never take that for granted, never take that lightly. So let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. And that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. You can know him. We should, that should never be a thing that fails to cause us to be in a place of wonder when we consider that. So now flip with me. The next major doctrine. and um, So there was a lot covered in this section, the doctrine of man. Um, but the one thing that I want us to uh, be reminded of when we come here, we're going to see in Romans chapter 3. Um, this is one of those dead horses that um, I stand up and beat to death again and again. Um, so when we consider man, when we consider us, right? Let us be reminded of who we are apart from the work that God has done. And there's no clearer place to see that in the Scriptures than in the book of Romans. Particularly, I like Romans chapter 3 as he's built up the case here for the need for uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles who have fallen into sin, who have become inventors of their own evil. Um, We have charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin in verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery, the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As we consider the doctrine of man, we should consider our state apart from the work that God has chosen to do in us. It should not surprise us that sinners will sin, And Scripture makes clear that there is none of us who was exempt from this. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. This is the state. This is the nature of fallen man. No one seeks for God. 
so when we find ourselves here today as people who seek God, this understanding that we did not first seek Him, but that He sought us should be the forefront of our minds. That God is good, we are not good. That we did not seek Him, but that He sought us. And this leads us to the doctrine of Christ, which was the next major section that we looked at. And here, this was another one of those that I just went back and forth and back and forth on uh, what would be the best text uh, to hit here. Um, So for this one, um, I ended up landing on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you'll go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's so much to be seen um, in in this. And, and also this section, this section as a whole, was the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, the next section that we're going to look at, the application of redemption, um, I wanted to leave the doctrine of Christ because I, th- I think the text that we're going to look at here in 1 Corinthians um, is a good place to, to really look at and, and think about Christ. And then when we look at the application of redemption, the text that I selected there is almost a little bit of a bridge between the, whole, the, whole, the studies that we've done on the Holy Spirit as well as the, that major section of the application of redemption. Um, because we'll see, we see in the application of redemption, the Holy Spirit's uh, work in us uh, really shine forward. Um, but here, as we look and remind ourselves about the the doctrine of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, looking at verses 3 through 8. This is the pre-Paulian creed. I love this passage of text. We we could and we have spent uh, numerous sessions kind of diving into uh, all that can be unpacked from this text. Um, So starting in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. As I consider the doctrine of Christ, as I consider all that we looked at through the doctrine of Christ, um, the fact of the resurrection. Um, If you want a starting point for all of the Christian walk, and the hope that we have. Um, there is no better place to start than He is alive today. Um, you can unpack our future hope from that reality. Like You can unpack the hope of heaven from the fact that He was not left in that grave, but that He was raised in power as firstfruits. Um, You can unpack going from the resurrection backwards from this idea that He died. He was holy and righteous. He died for our sins. Right? So we can unpack that going backwards. Um, We consider as well here the 
this pattern of just repetition of pointing these truths out and then pointing out that this is in accordance with Scripture all along. And um, when we get to the the text that I've selected for the kind of the final piece of this, the future, I actually chose not to go to Revelation, but instead to go back uh, to the book of Daniel for this, for this very purpose that like all that we've looked at, like this was the plan from the beginning, right? We we serve a God who, um, before He spoke any person into existence, the plan that He had set forward um, was this very plan, and He's told us this. He's told us this and revealed this to us more and more throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. And he's made this. Uh, this reality clears so of Christ dying for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, buried, raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to see if it's like the, the reality of who it is that we've served and what He has done and why He has done it and His love for us and His commitment to us. And um, There's so much that we can, that we can see and, and that we can glean from uh, this section about the doctrine of Christ. This also is probably a good time um, to bring up as well that though we're now on like session 128 of this, um, and it has been a long endeavor, this is but an introduction to these things, right? Each chapter in this book, each chapter, there have been untold numbers of books written just focusing on individual details of each of these chapters. Right? So this is an introduction to theology. And if you were to go back and, and, and look at uh, Grudem's intro there, he, he mentions the same, the same thing. That this is not as much effort as we spent. Like, scratch the surface is all that we've done. Like, there's so much more in each and every one of these chapters. There's so much more about Christ. There's so much more about, like, you could spend, you could spend years looking just at this pre-Paulian creed. And unpacking all of the different things. Like this is one of the beautiful things about God's Word is that as much energy as we've put into this study over the last several years, um, we're not even close to the end, right? Like not even close to the end of like digging into all of the things. Like as I consider like the future and our future hope, even like I consider that. We will be millions of years into eternity and we'll still say the same thing. Like we thought we scratched the surface then, but even still today we'll say we've only scratched the surface. Like the depths of the riches of God's Word, of God's work that He's done, that He continues to do, um, is, it's, uh, it's truly unsearchable. Um, we can know true things. We can learn more and more. Um, but we are hopeless to think that we will ever exhaust it. 
Like there is no exhausting um, this. So, so I say that kind of to say that like though we've been through all of this, um, if you just if we just had decided to start again from the beginning and just go back through, um, it would not be a simple rehashing of these things. If if we if we were to start if if you were to take any book that Dustin has preached from the pulpit and you were to just go back to the beginning of it and go through. Like he scratching the surface. Scratching the surface. Uh, it's a crazy thought. Crazy thought to consider. That given a finite number of words in this book, because there are fine, there is a there is a countable number of words in the book that you hold before you. Countable number. Inexhaustible in its depth. Right? Only only God can arrange something uh, in, in in that way. Let's go now to um, we're going to look at the next major section here, the application of redemption. Uh, to do this, we're going to look. Uh, we're going to go back to the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter eight. And here's where here's where like a kind of a bridging between the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was it, which was at the later latter part of this last major section, the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Here's where I'm going to kind of try to bridge that in as we look at this next major section, which is the application of redemption. Um, we're going to look at verse 9 through 11 here. So the, this is the major section, the application of redemption. As we look through this, we looked at like um, justification, sanctification, like glorification. We looked at election. There was so much that we covered um, in this in this in this section on the application of redemption, um, again, it was extremely difficult to, to settle on uh, to settle on a particular text, and there would be there would be a, a host of others that we could select from here um, and get the the same um, value from. But Romans chapter eight verses nine through eleven. Let's re- let's read that. However, you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who do not, does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So let's want to do a little bit of a little bit of a bridging between some of the major sections so uh, Romans chapter 3 um, no one seeks after God right this doctrine of man I want to I want to remind us of that um, the doctrine of Christ then we looked at Christ raised from the grave um, never to die again overcoming sin overcoming death um, now this reality applied to us, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, what would you expect? If, if the Spirit of the 
the one who raised Jesus from the dead, who did the impossible, dwells in you, would you expect that your life would go on as it was before? Right? In the same way that you would expect that if I were run over by a 18-wheeler going 90 miles an hour down the interstate, that I would look a little different afterwards. Um, in the same way, I would expect that if you come in contact with the one who raised Jesus from the dead, that it would have an impact on your life. Right? Let's, let's rem- remember who it is that's called us to Himself. If we think that it's impossible for Him to do a work within us, let's remember um, the uncountable number of impossibilities that He has um, demonstrated are possible for, for Himself. Um, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is not simply a hope for a future reality after the resurrection, but this is a hope for you today. That the Spirit of God gives you, empowers you, working in you through the Word of God as we looked at in 2 Timothy, working through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, giving life to your mortal bodies because He dwells in you. He changes you. He sanctifies you. He will not fail in the work that He's begun in you. Um, Let's go now to... The next major section, this is a more recent one, so it should be a little bit more fresh on our minds. We're going to look at the church next. And for this, I want us to look at Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We've got two more passages of text, so Ephesians chapter 5, and then we'll look at Daniel, and we will be be done with this. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start looking in verse 25. And this is one of the reasons that as well, like when I consider marriage in general, um, husband's responsibilities specifically in marriage, um, this text, this text is one of those that like both calls us as husbands to a charge that is um, seems impossibly daunting because I'm not Christ. But we are called to love our wives in a way that reflects Christ's love for His church. So when we consider the next major section of the systematic theology study, the doctrine of the church, I want us to consider the love that He has for us as His people. It is the love of a perfect husband um, towards us, which we can be real, we are not the perfect bride. But He is making us so. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. As we consider who we are in Christ and who we are together in Christ as His church, let us be reminded of the love that He has for us. As imperfect as we see ourselves and know ourselves to be, let us remind ourselves, let us be a reminder to one another that Christ is doing a work in us. He is washing us with the Word And He will, this is not a thing that He's going to fail to accomplish, but He will present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be, that's us, that we might be holy and without blemish. Christ will complete this work. So as we consider whose we are, In the church, let us consider that though we are imperfect now, that He is sanctifying and working in us in such a way that He will not fail at, and the end of this work, He will present us to Himself holy and without blemish. Let us fall at His feet because only He could do that. Only He could do that. And finally... Let's go and look at the last major section in the systematic theology study, the the doctrine of the future. And for this, I want to start, I want to go back and look at the book of Daniel here. So if you will, flip with me to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look here at verses 13 and 14. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. What does the future look like? He wins. Unquestionably. Um, and in dominating fashion, he wins. So when we think about the future, when we think about our hope for the future, let's remember that before, like during this time, during the time that Daniel is writing these words, how he would fulfill this Reality was less clear to them than it is for us. Like we can look at this and we can see Jesus in this. And we are extremely fortunate for that. But still we find ourselves in a time where it does not always seem as though He's winning. And we look around us and we see evil still, pain still, creation suppressed still, and 
what we ought to know clearly, sometimes we can question it. But I want us to consider that when we find ourselves standing the other side of the resurrection, we find ourselves standing the other side of, well done, my good and faithful servant. We find ourselves on the other side of Christ having presented to Himself the church holy and righteous. We'll look at verses like this. And be reminded that this all-knowing God was wise. He did not only see the end from the beginning, but He knew the best way to get there. He knew the best way to get there. And He did not need our opinions and feedback to know that thing. I saw the night vision. Verse 13. I saw the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. As we think about this final section of the future, let us consider that the King wins. There is no doubt that the King wins. Without question. Here, I appreciate y'all's attention. I appreciate y'all's patience with me through this uh, long study. It has been, um, it has been fun. <laughs>